I really like to keep variables as consistent as possible in my one-on-one -on -one programs. Um, and then I have a pretty in-depth check-in form that my athletes will send me in each week. It actually uses a ton of subjective things that the athlete might feel during their session. So I use these kind of subjective uh, feedback metrics from the clients week to week. And then with that, I can adjust the volume, the intensity, and or frequency as needed to be able to keep this person progressing um, and without having to worry about like, okay, well, you know, I have to change out this movement and that movement. The real value is in making sure that progression occurs and that they're getting the most out of their training program and the most benefit. And if that requires them to keep the same movements and then we, you know, adjust intensity and volume, then I think that that's going to be our most prudent route to success. podcast designed to help you change your mindset and your life. It is time for something new. Join host Dr. Shante Cofield, also known as the Movement Maestro, on a journey to see the bigger picture. Open your eyes. Find your passion and discover how movement unites us all. Let's get it popping. This is Maestro on the Mic. I'm the Maestro and you're about to get maestro -ized. Three, two, one. Hello friends, Maestro here. Welcome back to another episode of my favorite podcast. Today I have with me another special guest. And quite frankly, I am super stoked to have him because he is obsessed. And I say that in the best way possible. You are my people. You know that I consider obsession to be a phenomenal thing. And his is actually the only podcast I listen to because of the fire that he brings <laughs> to it. Uh, let me go read through the little uh, background real quick. He is the owner and founder of both Evolve Training Systems and Paragon Training Methods. You folks know I love Paragon. This is how I found this dude, or I was introduced to this dude. Uh, he co-hosts the Eat, Train, Prosper podcast. He was a CrossFit Games coach. He's a three, I didn't realize this last one, three-time CrossFit regional athlete. It's kind of a big deal. I'm sad regionals are gone, but I digress. <laughs> 24 years experience in training. He's been on a ton of podcasts. And like I said, he brings the noise. He brings the fire. He brings the obsession. And he brings the white leggings. Like <laughs> if you follow him on Instagram. I think that's like a signature thing. He's got the white legging. So without further ado, welcome to the show, my friend, Brian Borstein. What's up, my dude? Hey, thanks for the uh, wonderful intro. And uh, the white leggings only come out in winter. You know, it's uh, it's summertime right now, so we, we got no time for that. <laughs> I love the white leggings. It's like <laughs> dudes don't wear them. Brian wears them. Brian rocks them. And I'm grateful for it. So I will be a good host and pass the mic immediately over to you. I gave the little intro, but I would love for you to just introduce yourself with your version to the people. Sure. Yeah. So usually I, when I'm on podcasts, I'm speaking to an audience that cares a whole ton about the uh, process of hypertrophy or gaining muscle and strength. And uh, I'm gonna guess that your your uh, your audience may not make that their like top priority in life. So, um, so my intro might be a little bit different. <laughs> but um, I uh, I began training with weights when I was 15 years old because um, I needed to get bigger for basketball. And then there was a, a catalyst moment where uh, 
a kid in science class got upset with me for, for some reason. I honestly can't even remember now. And he turned around and hit me in the middle of science class. And I was kind of a little thing at the time. It was five, two in ninth grade. And, um, so I, you know, tried to hit him back and the whole thing happened. And then literally it was like a couple days later, I started lifting weights and started buying all the muscle magazines and got into that whole thing. And then, you know, the whole goal was to do it for basketball. So, um, ultimately I got so obsessed with weight training that it became a passion of mine, even, even more than basketball. It was kind of like a gradual process. Um, but ended up going to college for, for exercise science and, after college, did the uh, the corporate grind, worked in like recruiting and other kind of government contracting work for about three years until my college roommate and I decided to reconvene and start CrossFit PB in 2010. And uh, that took me through officially like 2017 was when I sold um, the majority of my share of the gym and, and my partner did as well. But I think I started my transition maybe a little bit more out of CrossFit in 2015-16 as everything kind of was falling apart (laughs) and uh, landed myself in kind of this strength and hypertrophy world, which took me um, in many ways back to my roots of kind of the way that I trained and my obsession with the science and with learning as much as I could. Um, It kind of brought me all back to that, except that now, almost 20 years later, there's significantly more research out there and there's a lot more jacked scientists that are that mm. that care to do the research and there's more research to read and interpret and there's science communicators and there's all these people in the industry that make um, the understanding of science and the application of it much simpler um, and streamlined. So that's been super cool to jump into to the field now and now I've been kind of in this evidence-based spectrum for about five years and uh, started Evolve Training Systems in 2017, started Paragon with Lori in 2018. And uh, that kind of brings us more or less to the present. I love that he dropped Lori in there. You folks know I did an episode with LCK. Uh, Courtney, if you could drop the link, that would be great. That is how I found out about Brian and got introduced to Brian. Brian does all the programming for Paragon, and I have fallen in love with it, namely because there's so much bicep tricep work, which is just like, (laughs) I live for that. Uh, With my initial foray, I started lifting when I was 15. No one punched me. No, there's no fighting in my background, (laughs) but uh, probably would have died. Uh, But I tore my ACL and my mom got me a membership to to the YMCA and was like, take your crutches and go lift weights. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. so here we are. Uh, and got introduced to, to lifting. And because I had torn my ACL and I was on crutches and such, couldn't really do any lower body stuff aside from like what I was doing at PT and just fell in love with upper body, upper body work. And like I bought all the muscle and fitness magazines, but not the muscle and fitness women's one. Cause those were, first of all, Brian, <laughs> those are like three, they were like three pages long. Like the muscle <laughs> and fitness, the regular one was like, so like, you know, so many pages and just yeah. so many different workouts. And then muscle and fitness women or hers or whatever fuck it was called was literally like three pages. And I was like, what is this trash? What, yep. <laughs> what's going on here? And, and I, it was all I, toning stuff. Literally horrendous. I was like, what, what is this the same company? I, I truck like truck those magazines all like through all the moves I did. I had like this huge stack of them and I would just keep referring back to them. Uh, and then I, I too went into kind of that, that CrossFit world, but you know, I weigh right now, 100 and, 
26.7 pounds, I think. I've never, I'm not really built for, for the CrossFit stuff. Anytime there was like a running wad, I'd be like, this is my jam. <laughs> and everything else, I was like, this kind of sucks. Uh, so always kind of feeling that pull back to more of the hypertrophy uh, side of things. And kind of what I want to get into next is this concept of hypertrophy, strength training, and recreational uh, activities. So you said you were trying to, one, gain some size for basketball, which is interesting. I feel like there's like a, a limit on that. Like you can't be huge and play basketball. Mm-hmm. But when you're doing this programming, when you are, are, are programming for Paragon, are you thinking about athletes like myself, let's say, that are playing other sports? Or is it like, hey, I'm programming or hypertrophy? Is, is there a way to, to marry the two? Yeah, for sure. I think that, you know, the program you follow, the the Paragon program, the OG program, the first one we came out with, um, that was kind of its purpose, right? Was to kind of marry the two, to take functional fitness or the things that people love and may miss from CrossFit, um, primarily the Olympic lifting yeah. and the um, the conditioning stuff, like the circuits yeah. and the metabolic totally. work. So I think that when you think of CrossFit, a lot of times people look at like the, the kipping pull-ups and they're just like seeing these weird, mm-hmm. like, like momentum-based movements, right? So we took that out. We don't use that at all in our Paragon program. But I do think that, like I said, the, the Olympic lifting and the, the circuit stuff has has a utility. And I think that especially for someone like yourself, who is, you know, an athlete in a way, like you, you, you really care about your, your, uh, your volleyball and, um, and you also care about your training, but I think that in many ways you're training so that you can be a better volleyball player. And so I think that the Paragon program is, is the right choice for you because it has those kind of different elements that are going to keep you as a well-rounded athlete. So while the methodology in that program is for sure based in the development of probably strength and hypertrophy primarily, um, there is a little bit of isolation work. Like you said, there's curls and there's tricep extensions, and then there's a little bit of Olympic lifting and there's a little bit of metabolic conditioning. And so we do try to kind of marry all of that together in that program. But when you look at the physique program, I mean, based on the Mm -hmm. name of the program, like the goal is to develop your physique, um, and counter to what many people believe, um, science these days has been pretty confident that, you know, one of the most optimal ways to optimize physique is to lift weights and walk, um, because cardio or circuits or kind of different ways in which you might burn calories from kettlebell swings and burpee box jumps and things like that. It's, it's not trackable. Um, Mm -hmm. it causes a lot of fatigue, whereas things Mm -hmm. like walking does not cause fatigue. Um, and so there's also a cortisol spike that occurs, uh, when you do those kind of high intensity metabolic circuits, and that also is kind of counter to the objective of improving physique. So for all these reasons, we really like the, the approach of just lifting weights, focusing on building the muscle and then recovering super hard by just doing low intensity activities like walking and the casual biking and stuff like that. And then, uh, filling in the gaps with, you know, good nutrition and sleep and like lifestyle habits. I love this and I'm going to keep going with this because I want everyone to just hear your passion for this and your passion <laughs> with, I, I love it. Like, like I said, folks, so his uh, podcast that he hosts with Aaron Straker is yep. Eat, the Eat, Train, Prosper podcast. It's literally the only podcast I listen to. And my friend, uh, Holly, actually, I've spoken about her before, one of my clients, one of my friends as well. Uh, she made a phenomenal point one day because I was just like, why do you listen to so many podcasts? Like, 
I see people and they're just listening and they're just consuming so much content. I'm like, what? why do you listen to all this? Is it actually telling you new stuff that you don't know? And she sat and then she was just like, you know, it's not that I don't know a lot of the information. She's like, much of it I do know. She's like, I listen to them to feel less alone. And that, I was just like, fuck, that is different. And I love that. And when I was dog sitting Miss Faye and having to walk so much, I had to walk that fucking dog all over the place. I was like, well, let me listen to something. And I put on... Brian's podcast. And that's exactly what happened. One, I do not know the stuff that they're talking about. <laughs> so that's, that's a different story, but it definitely makes me feel less alone in that there's someone else out there. There's two people because they're both hosting it, but there's, you know, other two other people out there that are not afraid to be obsessed with something, to let it consume them, to go all in. I find that in general, we're in a time where people are just kind of like scared to take, especially women, kind of scared to take up so much space and they're just like dipping their toe with things and people are afraid to be like, this is what I do. I freaking love this thing. Ryan and Aaron, not the case. They're, these guys are just riffing and talking about <laughs> like all of the things and it's exciting and definitely makes me feel less alone. So we will link that in the show notes. Thank you, Courtney. Uh, we'll link Brian's podcast. I actually got on him before the, this episode and I was like, excuse me, sir, where, where's the episode for this because <laughs> it's been, <laughs> went on vacation it's been two weeks but and we'll talk about that actually because i'm going to talk about you and the and the tracking and stuff that you're putting putting in your stories but uh let's nerd out i want you to nerd out a bit more with the with programming with strength things strength hypertrophy can you talk a bit more about walking and just the value there Mm, interesting. Yeah, totally. Um, I started walking, purposefully walking, um, probably in like 2015, uh, 14, when we were, we were doing the CrossFit gym and I just needed a way to get away from the madness for mm -hmm. an hour. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that it began for me as kind of like this therapeutic thing. Um, I was able to clear my mind. I was able to think about the things that I had to do, but without the pressure of actually doing them in that moment because I wasn't actually near the gym. Yeah. Um, as I began, so in 2015, I also signed up for a men's physique competition. Uh, we had started just recently at that point, a, uh, like bodybuilding program at the CrossFit gym. We had two locations. Oh. So we were basically, taking one of our two locations, the smaller one, and we were turning it into like a specialty gym. So it would have cool. uh, three or four bodybuilding classes each day. It had an Olympic lifting class. It had a gymnastics class. It had a uh, training for surfing class. Um, it had like cool stuff like that. And so we had this bodybuilding class and, um, and I thought that I would be a poster boy for that class and do a men's physique competition, which... Huh is literally like an entire podcast in itself because that competition like ruined me in so many ways. Like it ruined my hormones and uh, it was just all done very wrong, mm -hmm. but I learned so much from it that it set the stage for kind of the future of the way that I do things. Um, so we could go down that path if you want, but um, going back to walking real quick, as I was preparing for that physique competition, I began gaming walking and that's when it almost got to become too much. Right. So before it was therapeutic for me. And then as physique competition was coming up, I'd be like, okay, I have one hour to walk right now. I need to get as far as I possibly can. Mm -hmm. 
and I would have this like tracker where I, it was like a, a map my run. It was mm-hmm. right before. Yeah. But yeah remember yeah. that. Wow. Back. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I do remember this. So I use map my run and every time I walked, I would try and do more distance in my hour. Um, and it just became this like additional pressure in my life as opposed yeah. to something enjoyable for me. And I think at that point, it really does begin to have a lot of the same negative effects that cardio does um, in that it causes a cortisol rise and it Mm, causes fatigue and all of these different things. If you're just going out and you're living life, but you're making it a priority to, to get steps in, like, you know, I could park further from the grocery store. I don't need to look for the closest spot or like, I'm going to take the stairs instead of the elevator or, you know, my kids want to go out and play, but I'm dead tired. I'm going to take this opportunity to get up and go play with them because it's going to, it's going to get me more steps in. Then these things are, are more just like ways that, that it can enhance your life as opposed to ways that it would detract from it. Like it was, as I was doing it in preparation for the physique competition. Um, but I think that ultimately with the way that we stand right now in 2021 with walking is that it is a very trackable way for us to monitor energy expenditure throughout a day. Um, and that's really its best utility because it's extremely low fatiguing. It's essentially like, you know, you, you could go do a a 20 minute run, like an interval run or something like that, where you get completely destroyed. Your, your next four hours are just like shot because your brain is wobbly. Right. And then you have this like ravenous hunger that hits you a few hours later because you just went through all of your glucose. Um, And so things like that are are not going to be as optimal as taking the time to go walk for 60 minutes. The unfortunate side of that is that walking takes longer. So if you don't have the ability in your life to to multitask. Like I always try to multitask mm-hmm. when I walk, whether it's like listening to a podcast, digesting information, um, taking calls. Like when you told yeah. me this podcast wasn't going to be videoed, my first thought was maybe <laughs> I can take it on a walk, you know? <laughs> um, but then I was like, no, because I'll have my computer and my microphone and all these things. Um, <laughs> Ryan's walking down the road. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just podcasting, walking down the road, you know? Um, you hear like a school bus go by and a garbage truck and <laughs> all the sounds of, of Boulder. But um <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, so I think like for, for the, the purpose of, of physique enhancement, walking is a trackable metric and it can be used really well. So this is like a simple model that when people write me and they're like, Hey, I need to lose, you know, 10 pounds. How should I do this? I'm like, here's what you're going to do. You're going to lift weights four or five days a week. You're going to focus on progression in the weight room. You're going to eat in a three to Five hundred calorie deficit, whatever works, you know, for your body size and and stuff like that. You're going to keep your protein at body weight, and then they're like, okay, what about cardio? I'm like, you're not going to do cardio. You're going to start with somewhere between eight and ten thousand steps a day, and if your scale is stagnant for two weeks, then you're going to add two thousand steps, or you're going to subtract a hundred calories from your diet. And then in two weeks from there, you're going to reassess and you may add another 2000 steps or subtract another hundred calories from your diet. And it becomes just this like super simple balancing act of, of manipulating daily movement and manipulating calorie intake. And all of those diagnostics get completely lost when you throw in circuits and cardio and all Mm -hmm. these different things, because you don't know what's, how much energy you're actually expending, right? Yes, yes. So two questions then about the walking. Would you say, and I hate, I hate the question, like, is it better then? But can you speak to breaking up 
the walk, meaning I love that you said like, you know, parking further away, use taking mm-hmm. the stairs. If mm-hmm. we're shooting for 10,000, you know, the magical number of 10,000 steps a day, um, would you suggest based on what you're saying to break that up? Is there a difference between doing it three times a day so that you're spread out as opposed to, you know, an hour or whatever to an hour and a half of, of just walking? Uh, and can you speak to physique versus like, actual cardiovascular benefit mm-hmm. of of walking mm-hmm. yeah um so regarding cardiovascular benefit of walking this there was a study um i can't remember who, who did the study but i read about it and it's really accessible it's from the new york times in 2018 if you google like new york times uh weightlifting versus cardio for heart mm-hmm. health or something like that it's the first thing that comes up but they basically found that that uh weight it was they were comparing weight training against cardio right Got against it. like like circuit training cardio or like running or some sort mm-hmm. of like monostructural whatever getting yep. your heart rate up and they found that weight training was as good or better than cardio for cardiovascular health um then they've also, of course, done studies on like just walking and they found that, you know, people that are uh, diabetic or pre-diabetic that just do, just start walking, like all of their mm-hmm. symptoms uh, mm-hmm. begin mm-hmm. to get better, like immediately. So um, I think that while I don't know if there's an exact study on weightlifting and walking as like a combo, I think that we could intuit pretty well that uh, that weightlifting being better than cardio or, or as good as cardio and then walking just being good on its own. Um, as a combo is probably like the sweet spot of, of health. When you say weightlifting as cardio, like for, for those of you listening, uh, Brian, your Instagram is Brian Borstein, right? It's, but it's B-R-Y-A-N. Yep. Right. So those of you listening, we'll link in the show notes. If you watch Brian work out and then actually like go through his sessions, uh, he, he's just doing his uh, like hack squat kind of leg press machine yesterday. And I was like, Brian, why are your arms so pumped on this <laughs> machine? What's happening? I can see that, yes, there will be a cardiovascular component to lifting like that. When you say weightlifting, mm-hmm. where, are you talking about like, oh, I'm doing, you know, is there a range? Is there an intensity? Mm-hmm. Um, when I say intensity, I don't mean like you have to be doing going fast, but is there, you know, an output that you need Mm -hmm. in order to have that cardiovascular benefit. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, as far as like the, the, the health of the heart goes, like the heart, the heart is a muscle, right? Yeah. So the, as far as that goes and the way that it kind of affects downstream cardiovascular system stuff, I would, I would guess that, you know, you have to be lifting with some sort of intensity. Mm -hmm. I I would say Mm -hmm. within three to five reps of failure probably would get the job done if I were to conjecture. I mean, I don't, I can't like cite a study on that, but in, in my mind, that seems to make sense because three to five is where like, you know, the bar starts to slow a little, you really have to like exert effort to, to keep the bar moving. Um, and you would finish a set and depending on the rep range, you may or may not be out of breath a little bit. Um, yeah. What was the, you had a, you had two questions about walking and I answered one of them and then I feel like I missed the second one. I don't uh, know if you the first one was, uh, like physique kind of versus cardio. And the second one was, um, breaking it up throughout the day. Yes, yes, yes. I wanted to make sure I addressed that. So I actually think that the most optimal way to do it would be to literally do it in like 10 minute segments every mm-hmm. hour. So like top mm-hmm. of the hour, every hour you get up and you go walk 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think that that's better than doing one big chunk because you're constantly getting your metabolism elevated, getting the levity that you experience from kind of like that breath of fresh air and that movement, the little bit of endorphin rush that I think honestly wouldn't come in the first three or four minutes of walking. I think you kind of need to go at relatively brisk pace, not like out of breath pace, but you have gotcha. to move with purpose. And I think around the 10 minute mark is, is the sweet spot for that. Um, yeah. I also think that there is potential value in going for 10 minute walks immediately after meals. Yeah. I was actually going to um, ask you about that because you talk about that. Yeah. I think that it has some impacts on nutrient partitioning and that would essentially just mean the way that your body takes the protein, carbs, and fat and then utilizes it. So mm -hmm. how much of it might go into like storage for fat cells or storage for use later versus um, being used in the moment, uh, being ready, readily made available rather. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I try to go for walks after every meal and I, and I make it a priority to go for a walk after my biggest meal of the day, whatever that is, because it actually, I can notice a difference in the way the food settles when I walk after versus not. I love that. I don't know how feasible that is for everybody, but. Right, right, right. <laughs> I, I don't like, but it's still like, it's, you know, obviously with everything, we have to want to lower the bar to entry, just build the habit, establish a habit. If it's easier to do it in a single chunk, yeah, start there. But one of the things that I love about the way you approach things is that one, it starts off with that individual nature of things, which I'm we're going to talk about later um, and making it specific to that person and their goals. And then two, mm -hmm. just making it accessible. And then from there, we look to optimize and like, what is the best way to do this, you know, for that person. And I love that you get into that in your podcast. I love that you are constantly experimenting on yourself with now you're doing like partials with your, mm -hmm. your training. And I'm like, this is awesome. It doesn't mean I have to do it, but even just <laughs> watching it, I'm like, this is great. I, 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 I know for a fact, so many people listening to this podcast, that's where their their mind and their brain is at with whatever the thing is that they're doing. Like I'm thinking about right now, like Stephanie Hine and she lives on a farm and they grow stuff. And she had like these big worms on the stories yesterday. It's kind of gross, but I know that there is an, an air of like, how do I optimize this thing that I really care about? So I love mm -hmm. that you go into the nuances with this. I kind of want to, it's not really a big switch here, but you, you alluded to kind of switching your nutrition and, you know, changing the calories that you're consuming. Uh, you talked about uh, macronutrient you know, partitioning. When did you get into the nutritional side of things? I mean, honestly, it probably started like the first year that I started lifting when I was like 15 or 16 years old. Dang. Um, so I remember very clearly when I was probably in 10th grade, um, having to eat six meals a day. So I would get up and I would have breakfast. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I would bring a snack, like a turkey sandwich or something like that to school so that I would eat it at like nine 30 or 10. Then I remember going to get lunch and getting, uh, like a pint of milk, some roast beef and, um, some like whole wheat bread or something. So I was eating like super clean at that age. I was eating six meals a day because that was what the magazines yeah, said you had to I do. I remember this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're all we're like the same age. Yeah. So it's uh it's it's so funny. But um but that was I was doing that then. And then I even remember in the latter years of high school, someone on one of the forums that I was on, um, you know, it's like the fledgling internet back then. Yeah, exactly. Um but I was on like a bodybuilding forum somewhere and somebody was like what you really need to do 
is you need to get up in the middle of the night, set your alarm for like 2 a.m. and eat like a big protein and carbohydrate meal so that MPS is spiked the whole time while you sleep. And so, so I did that for like almost a year. I got up and I had a, a big bowl of grape nuts with raisins and a oh protein shake at like 2 a.m. And then I would just go back to sleep. Um, I don't know if it helped. I mean, science today would probably say not, I mean, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're also like a, an 18 year old boy, like, right, man, right, right. Do all the things and you'd be fine. Like, yeah. <laughs> so like- I, I definitely like began caring about nutrition then, but I went through a very long period where I didn't care about nutrition, mm-hmm. um, in different ways, I guess. So in, Oh, let's see. So I graduated high school at 5'10", 170 pounds. Okay. Um, and I was pretty lean, but like 170 pounds isn't like, you know, massive for someone that's been yeah, lifting exactly. four years. Um, I was pretty late in puberty as well. Like I don't think, uh, looking back at pictures and stuff, I don't think I actually got like hair under my armpits until I was like almost 17. What? So <laughs> like 16 or 17, it was really, really late. So um, like when I, I said I was 5'2 in yeah. ninth grade, and that was literally like, like I didn't grow until like a, the summer between 11th and 12th grade. That was when I shot up. Um, Brian, so, do people from high school look at you now and like, they're just like, excuse me, sir? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're all, they're all just kind of like, they, they don't really understand it. But it was funny because like in high school, they were all amazed by it. And they were like, you know, you'll help me out. Like, I want to do this too. And now they see me and they're just like, dude, you're like almost 40 with two kids. Yeah. Like, like you're still doing this? It's you amazing. Know? <laughs> Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so, uh, freshman year of college, we had access to the dining hall, which was endless fried chicken sandwiches. And, uh, and I took full advantage. So it was probably coinciding with like when I was actually like my testosterone was actually raging at like its highest mm-hmm. level. Cause I remember my face was just covered in acne at the beginning mm-hmm. of freshman year. Mm-hmm. And it maybe was from all the fried chicken sandwiches. <laughs> but, uh, but, but, uh, but I gained 30 pounds in four months. What? Um, so I, I went home for a Christmas break freshman year and I was 200 pounds. Wow. Um, and my, you know, I was benching 225 for reps and I could, couldn't even do that for a single when I graduated wow. high school. Um, and so I, I always have these, like when I get on podcasts and people are like, Hey dude, do we need to like do a dirty bulk at some point in our life? And, and I always have this, this response. It's like, you know, the science says you don't have to, like you really don't, but almost everyone that's really big did mm-hmm. at some point, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So like in my situation, yeah. I would say of that 200 pounds, like it was probably 15 pounds of fat and 15 Mm -hmm. pounds of muscle, maybe at best. Um, but really what I did was I spent the next 10 years after that, just staying at 200 pounds. I didn't really change much. It would oscillate like up or down five pounds, but I would just be like always just slightly improving that 200, like knocking some fat off, you know, keeping the muscle, knocking some fat off, adding a little muscle, whatever it was. Um, so I didn't, care about nutrition a whole lot in college. I drank a lot too. Mm-hmm. Um, so that makes it really yeah. hard to, to, to care Lived about nutrition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I drank a lot post-college too. So, um, all the way up until we started the CrossFit gym, I was like a two to three night a week, uh, go out, you know, watch games with mm-hmm. friends, go to bars, things like that. Um, and then we started the CrossFit gym in 2010 and then the whole 
life course changed because the goal became to be the best athlete that I could be again, like high school. It was just like high school. Right. So I kind of lost myself in that like college and post-college years where I wasn't an athlete anymore. And, uh, then finding that passion again in CrossFit kind of allowed me to refocus my efforts onto the things that ultimately have become kind of the backbone of my life. When did you start coaching the nutrition side of it for people? You know, honestly, I don't really coach much nutrition. Like I know a shit ton mm-hmm. about it because all of the resources that I ingest to yeah. learn about training also have nutrition information in them. And I read all of that too. Um, I, I, I mean, I help people with nutrition all the mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Like uh, anyone that's a member of my programs, totally. I'm glad to get on like a consult with them and like run them through some ideas and theories and options and individualized approaches and stuff like that. But most of my nutrition experience has come from my own experience and then um, kind of consuming uh, research and anecdote about it. I love that. I want to keep going with that. You mentioned uh, about the midnight, the middle of the night grape, the grape nuts uh, yeah. that are not any, they're anything but that. Um, I actually really liked them too, but I always put them in yogurt. Because they're so so hard. Yeah, Yeah, they're so so hard. hard. (laughs) I need to soften this a little bit. But one of the things that I see with people is there's like, I kind of split into two camps where some people are like, I'm going to try this. I'm going to see if it works for me. I'm going to stick to it because I know I have to put in the time. And then I see other people that are, what I want to say is they're worried that they're going to, that they will have wasted the time. And I feel like Aaron actually kind of alluded to this a little bit with one of the, in in one of the podcasts, one of the many episodes you did. Were you ever or have you ever been worried? Because you're a scientist through and through. Mm-hmm. When you're testing these things out on yourself, were you ever worried that you're like, oh, I'm I'm wasting my time doing this? If I do this for yeah. a year, fuck, that's a year that I, you know, was doing the wrong thing. Was that did that ever cross your mind? So I I do think that that's a major worry, but I think that I I determined what things I was going to test on myself. Mm-hmm based on the things that I thought would work. I like that. So I would consume tons of information on a specific style of training or whatever for months on end from different Mm -hmm. resources that Mm -hmm. follow the same methodology or ideology. Um, And I would still be training in my old way or whatever. And I would begin to gradually start instituting some of the concepts that I was reading about from these new resources. Mm -hmm. And if I liked the integration of those concepts into my current model, then I would write an entire cycle that would be based around uh, that type of training focus. I like that. I like that. Brian is through into, like I said earlier, a scientist and a researcher, you know, that very valuable end of one. uh, And then the people that he's, you know, working with, I think that's just a valuable approach just to be like, this is information and it's not wasted time. I love that he's going into it kind of more so securing that being like, I think this is going to work. But then at the end of the day, if it doesn't, then you've learned like, this is not something that works as well. Here's why you still get such valuable information from it. It's not wasted time at all. And you can move on to the next thing. Do you always program for yourself, Brian? Yeah. um, I always have except for, uh, six months in 2020, I hired a coach, um, Brian Miner. He's awesome. It was a guy that I have been following in the evidence-based community for a while. And he is actually the thinker that kind of has 
um, influenced me the most on the way that I look at progressive overload mm-hmm. um, in that it is the result of what you did prior as opposed to something that you have to do in the moment to ensure that it occurs. Can um, you keep speaking? I literally have this written down on the board because you talked about it on in your stories, I think. Uh, can you talk more about that as progressive overload as a result of something that that of your training? Yeah, yeah, totally. So, so it's an adaptation. So, uh, the 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 most common way that people perceive progressive overload is uh, is it is it Croton the bull or something like that? There's a story of a of a guy who when he, he when he had a calf that was born, he would lift the calf over his head every day, and as the calf got bigger he would continue to get stronger and lift mm-hmm. the calf over his head. So the the takeaway that people take from that story or that fable is that you have to lift something heavier to ensure that you get stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is like the way that the body works is that adaptations actually occur in the future. Um, mm-hmm. So the work that I did today on my on my chest press, it may show up as an adaptation next week or it might not. It might take two weeks or three mm-hmm. weeks. Like mm-hmm. there. Um, so here's kind of another way of looking at it. You're doing an exercise and you go 225 reps for, for 10 and you reach failure. Mm-hmm. And then you just stick with 225. You never ever increase the weight. You just stick with 225 and eventually – 10 reps isn't hard anymore. Mm -hmm. You just, you always stop at 10. And finally one day you're just like, oh, that was 10. That was pretty easy, right? So then that's your sign to be like, oh shit, it's too easy. Let's add some weight Mm -hmm. and now we'll make it hard again. Um, But that's not the approach that most people take. Most people are like, oh, I got 10. That means I need to add five pounds and then try to get 10 again. Um, But if you kind of backtrack that a little and you wait for that adaptation to catch up, then now it becomes much more obvious and safe for you to increase weight on the bar. Um, so it's a much more prudent approach. In I love that. Patience. Nobody has that. But I love that. <laughs> I remember when I was back like doing more of the CrossFit stuff. And they took us through like maybe, I don't know, like a small, small of, I don't know how to pronounce it. Cycle, yep, and I yep. was like, I'm going to die because yep. I'm not, this is, none of us should be doing this. Nope. Uh, but you just have this guaranteed like go up five pounds every week. And I was like, but how? Like, right. I get it. We're starting at a percentage of you know, you're, one, you're not starting at your one rep max, but I was like, this just didn't make sense to me. I was like, what do you, why are we just going up? Like there's no, there's been it's probably yeah. no adaptations and what? I yeah. love this. And I loved when you pointed that out on, on I think it was in your stories. And I was like that. Yeah, I have a post about so it sense. too, like probably further down in my feed now. It, just but. Makes, it makes so, 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 so much, so much sense. So with the programming, actually let's, Let's have, I'm going to have you plug your stuff and then we can talk more about this, the, the programming. Because uh, you also said that if people work with you, that you, you know, would be happy to discuss the nutrition. What is it like working with you? What does that look <laughs> like, rather? And uh, talk about drop the things that you do. What are the programs? Well, so I, I primarily focus on the general programs right now for the mm-hmm. Evolved and the Paragon programs. Um, I actually am I'm putting a hard cap on my my one-on-one clients. I've been doing this for about a year now where I cap it at five mm-hmm. um, because that's just the most that I can handle and give my all to, to provide oh. the value that I feel like I want to give um, with how busy I am with the general programs. 
So, um, so for the general programs, you know, the biggest question I always get is what's the difference between Evolved and Paragon? Like, (laughs) so, so essentially the way that I've made sense of this in my brain is that Evolved almost feels like my lab for experimentation. Um, when I try things on myself and then I decide that these are viable things that I would like other people to try, mm-hmm. then Evolved is where I'll, I'll put those into a program so that uh, I can get feedback from others that are actually doing it. And it's a significantly smaller sample size than yeah. if I were to drop that same program into Paragon and who mm-hmm. knows how many people like it or don't exactly. like it. Um, and then we also have the side of it being that like Paragon is primarily female. So, yes. you know, Evolved is, is a little bit more even split. So um, when I program for Evolved, it's it's not really focusing specifically on male or female um, and not like training really needs to focus male, female. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think it needs to be that varied or that different. Um, but in Paragon, the the main change that, that we focus on, at least in the physique program from the way that it appears in Evolved, is we try to get a little bit more work on the booty mm-hmm. and a little bit less work on the chest. Um, ah, because, interesting. Yeah, so women just don't need quite as much chest pressing um, as long as they're doing some. I think that the function exists. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that would be the main difference. And then once the programs on Evolved kind of get really good feedback and people you know, like what it is, and then I tweak a few things here and there, and then um, I'll deliver some version of that program to Paragon once it's been vetted. So um, that would kind of be the main difference. But across you know, Evolved and Paragon, we have, I think I write 10 or 11 different, maybe even 12, 12 different programs every week. Um, yeah, it's pretty insane. So it's keeps me, it keeps me really busy with the general programs. And then as you know, the Facebook group for Paragon is, is out of control. There's like 3000 plus people in there. Um, so I'm always like, I'm the number one, you know, coach for programming and training and video analysis and stuff like that. So a lot of my time is spent in the Facebook group, having discussions with people and trying to add value that way. Um, but getting to kind of your question about what it's like working with me one-on-one. Um, so I, uh, it obviously is, is individual, like it depends Mm -hmm. individual. So I can, I can kind of use an avatar that's in my brain and talk about that maybe if that's helpful. Totally. Um, so we could assume we have somebody who's looking for, for physique enhancement, one of the things that I really like to do in individual programs that's different than my general programs is I like to keep movement selection similar week to week um, because it decreases the variables and makes diagnostics easier, right? Um, even like something like, like it's not a huge deal if we do an incline curl instead of a spider curl or something like mm-hmm. that. But, but I mean, there is subtle nuance in it to the point that when someone's paying me for one-on-one coaching, like a, a an incline dumbbell curl, you know, takes your bicep through the lengthened position where your shoulder is extended. And then, uh, in a, in a preacher curl, yeah. your elbows are in front. It's so totally you're actually, you're training the shortened position, right? Yeah. So, so I really like to keep variables as consistent as possible in my one-on-one programs. Um, and then I have a pretty in-depth check-in form that my athletes will send me in each week that, uh, it actually uses a ton of subjective things that the athlete might feel during their session, such as pumps, soreness, fatigue, um, different aspects like that. 
uh, session RPE. That's one I really like to use is on a scale of one to 10, how difficult was the entire session? Um, so I use these kind of subjective uh, feedback metrics from the clients week to week. And then with that, I can adjust the volume, the intensity and or frequency as needed to be able to keep this person progressing um, and without having to worry about like, okay, well, you know, I have to change out this movement and that movement. And I think that a lot of coaches over um, alter programs mm -hmm. because they think they need to add value. And they're like, mm -hmm. if I'm just giving you the same thing as I did last week, then I'm not really adding value. But as soon as I was able to shift my mindset away from that, because I used to do that too, um, and realize that the real value is in making sure that progression occurs and that they're getting the most out of their training program yeah. and the most benefit. And if that requires them to keep the same movements and then we you know, adjust intensity and volume based on the check-in form, then I think that that's going to be our most prudent route to success. I love that. And it's definitely one of the things that I noticed when we started, uh, you know, when I started doing Paragon, was that you're unapologetic with how it's programmed. I definitely see, you know, coming from the physical therapy world, coming, you know, I work with a lot of people that are in the movement space, whether they're trainers, you know, yoga, whatever, they're still, they're programming for people. And there's definitely that they feel that need to like change it up so that people don't get bored. And I love yeah. that you're just like, get results. You don't, no one gets bored getting results. <laughs> like I'll do yeah. the same fucking exercise every week. If it means that I'm going to get results, I have no problem right. with that. And I right. love how unapologetic you are. And then you're like, you bring the science to it. And that uh, I will use that word again in a positive way, that obsession to it. Uh, and the phrase you was, was the phrase you used was decreasing the variability. I love that. Even when you're talking about just, um, if you folks watch Brian's stories, the way that he's so meticulous with even just the each rep and like, this is where it starts. This is where it ends. Because if you don't do that and you change it up, how do you know what works? Mm -hmm. I love that. I love yeah. the attention to detail. I love how you approach all of this. It's just ah, it's fascinating. Where can they find this stuff, Brian? Where can they, you know, connect with you, check out your stuff? Where's that? Yeah. At Brian Borstein on Instagram. Uh, if you search for evolved training systems, I'll also pop up that way. And then uh, at Paragon Training Methods, um, most of my like blogs and other kind of long form content would be on the website evolvedtrainingsystems.com. Um, yeah, I guess that's the most, oh, in my podcast, like y'all should, if you, if you like hypertrophy, it's, it's Shantae is great because she's like obsessed with my podcast, but like, she really doesn't care that much about like the actual content that we're talking about. She's just mostly invested in our stories and our passion. So, um, so if you, if you enjoy hypertrophy work or you just want to like stay up to date on the happenings of Brian and Aaron and all of our passion towards, uh, the process of obtaining hypertrophy, then we would love to have your listenership. Check it out. <laughs> it is, it's just, I mean, I, now that I walk sometimes with, especially with a dog, uh, I'm like, I'm gleaning bits and pieces of information from things. And I'm like, ah, well, this makes sense. And uh, definitely if you are interested in, in like deep diving into it, uh, that is the podcast to check out because it's also just delivered in a very digestible way. Like no one's talking over your head. Uh, you can understand the things that are being said. So if you want to go deeper with that, mm -hmm. definitely check it out. I also, Brian, I like that you um, just kind of, because I was wondering the same thing, like kind of the difference between uh, Evolved and Paragon. And I know that you were like, you know, kind of use it as like the, the first increased sample size for testing, and then it goes into Paragon. But I like that 
that differentiator, especially if you are splitting things between male and female. And if you're looking to do, or you're just someone that's like, I want more chest work versus more Mm -hmm. booty work, more glutes. Mm -hmm. Um, That's actually a really good differentiator. So thank you for um, explaining that. I was also wondering, I'm like, this man must be programming like every minute of every day. (laughs) It's so much. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I do I do program a lot, but I'm I'm very blessed in that I really only probably work like a true five or six hours a day, maybe if That's that awesome. may probably like four to five and then I do some weekend work too. Um because like so so my wife and I we always joke around, but we count my workout as work. So if yeah, we actually if, if we count my workout as work, then maybe I am like more like six hours uh, a day of, of it's working. It's definitely work. Um, but I, I do argue, yeah. So I, I argue that it is work as well because uh, I'm filming during it. I'm, yep. I'm updating Instagram. I'm uh, exactly. answering DMs. I'm on Facebook. I'm, I'm actually mm-hmm. like using the time that I have between sets to to multitask and accomplish more things. So um, so I always I always struggle with that identity of whether the workout is working or not. But if we are counting the workout as 100%. work, then I guess I, I work six hours a day. Um, but that's 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 great. Like I couldn't be any luckier to have that and. Um, you know, yeah, like <laughs> six hours a day with a couple hours on the weekends. Um, that gives me a lot of time to spend with my my two kids in the afternoon. And uh, I'm able to be really active and get a lot of steps in. And uh, we have a ton of a ton of family time. So one thing that I know that uh, we're all looking forward to as kind of COVID is is clearing here is getting out and doing some travel again. Yeah. Um, I know for my birthday, my wife has given me a two day uh, grace period. And I am going to use that to go off on my own into the mountains. I think I'm going to go to Vail or Breckenridge or something like that. And I'm just going to go like hike in the mountains by myself for two days. Awesome. Um, grow a beard, Brian? I, I can, I still can't grow a beard. I man. was wondering. Like, I was actually dude, wondering. <laughs> I try. No, no, I try. I'm actually going to send you a pic after this, uh, this thing's over a close up because I've been growing this thing now uh, for three weeks and it still looks like, I don't even have a good analogy for what it looks like. It's just so sparse and stringy. Um, so, so yeah, we're. In a room. Just sparse and stringy. I'll, I'll just I'll just keep it going for like the next two months, and maybe it'll be something. I love that. I actually want to go uh, deeper into that. Not the beard. I was, but I was wondering about that. But part of the thing, you know, that is my thing that I'm talking about is like creating and living your best life. It sounds like you're there. You get to do something that you love working out lifting as part it's absolutely right as part of your job that shit takes a lot of time to doing other things and be filming it and thinking about you know how you're programming and then using that as testing that that is absolutely part of your job and you you know your brand how did it come to be like this you said that you started a gym but you actually before that were doing um contract work into government contract work like yeah how did it get to this and was there ever any like fear like okay i'm gonna work for myself like oh shit like and you have two and you have kids how did yeah. it get to where it's at now oh man it's such a such a great story to look back because um like in 2008 2009 anders uh, who was my partner mm-hmm. in crossfit pb he was uh like I said earlier, we were college roommates. So he, uh, he was sending me workouts for CrossFit while I was in a commercial gym. So I was doing like my bodybuilding style training and 24 hour fitness in San Diego. Um, and he was still in the East coast, different, different spots in the East coast. So he was obsessed with CrossFit and he started sending me all these workouts 
So I would do like Fran and Cindy and Grace, uh, those three I mm-hmm, did mm-hmm. in the commercial gym. Um, and did you do strict then- pull ups, Brian? Yeah, 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 totally. So I did, I was in the, uh, I was in the four post power rack, you know? Um, and I had the barbell like in the squat pins. And so when I would thrust, I would just start from the top position. This is great. And there, there was like a pull-up bar above the rack. Um, so, so yeah, I did Fran and I did Grace and I actually did really well, like for the time, like I was in a, yeah, a commercial gym awesome. with, with metal plates and stuff and, awesome. and I was getting decent times. Yeah. And, uh, so then, fortuitously, Anders broke up with his uh, longtime girlfriend in uh, 2009, and he needed to just get away. He needed to get away from the life that he had on the East Coast, and so his plan was to take a six-month hiatus in San Diego and just kind of reconvene with me, and we would just kind of bro out. And you know, we we didn't have the CrossFit gym at this time. We just like like to drink beer and and watch sports and whatever. Um, so, so we did this, he came here for six months and then right toward the end of his six months, we went to a bachelor party in Vegas with a buddy of ours from college and we were up like just all hours of the night, you know, just talking about the most ridiculous things. And at one point Anders turns to me and he's like, dude, we should totally start a CrossFit gym. And, and I was like, yeah, totally. You know, like didn't even think about it. And then like two weeks later, we're sitting there watching baseball and he turns to me and he goes, dude, remember when I said the CrossFit gym thing? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, we need to do that. And, uh, and, uh, so that like literally that day, he was like so passionate about it that that day we got up and we started walking up and down Garnett, which is like the main drag with all the bars in Pacific beach. And, um, we found a, a space that just went out of business. It was like an old record store, 2,600 square feet, right on the corner of like a somewhat busy intersection. And um, we literally spent the next three weeks writing our business plan and obtaining funding from our parents and extended family. And uh, eventually we we built a CrossFit gym. We signed a lease and everything kind of started in 2010. So in 2011 january 30th of 2011 we quit our day jobs that was about wow, eight wow. months after we started the crossfit gym we were That's so uh, fast well so we we did it we, we only needed meager amounts of money we had decided that once we were each making three thousand dollars a month that that was enough of like a you know it's gonna work for us to to be confident quitting our day wow. jobs so wow. yeah okay. so so yeah. we had we were, we were making at a point where i think our company was I don't remember what it was, but we were both netting $3,000 a piece. Mm -hmm. So we quit our day jobs. We did the gym full time. It was like the greatest thing because up until that point, I was for eight months, I was getting up at 5.30 a.m. to run the a.m. classes. And then I would go straight from a.m. classes to real work until 4, 4.30. And then I would come home and run two evening classes. And then we would clean the gym and, uh, and we wouldn't get home until, you know, 10.30 or 11. We would eat dinner, watch an hour of sports center. And suddenly it's midnight and I'm up at five 30 AM again the next day. Um, so it's like, it's things like that, that I did for like eight straight months. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like, I, in yeah. retrospect, I don't know how I did that, but when people talk about grinding and yeah. like putting in the time and stuff like that, like that is, that is that. Like that is what, I literally so, do it. Um, yeah. So that was the kind of beginning of it all. And I, obviously I have Anders passion and foresight to, to take in for that. Um, and then in, uh, 
2011, when we quit our day jobs, Anders and I realized that we needed to split our duties a little bit because we both couldn't just be doing the same thing or we would be all over each other all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, so he had an MBA and so he naturally took on the role of kind of business operations and finance for us. Uh, and then I took on the role of programming training and stuff like that, because that's really where my passion was anyways. Um, like I, I was kind of the, the influence for Anders as far as training. Like he learned a lot from me as far as a lot of aspects of programming and stuff like that throughout the years. So it kind of just made sense. It was a good fit. Um, and then I started online coaching others in the end of 2011. So there were two people in SoCal at the time that both at the time had decent uh, Instagram following. Uh, now Ryan Fish, I'm sure you oh, know of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he uh, he was my second online client ever, and uh, Carly Acevedo Fuller was my first. Oh my god! Shut up! Really? You know her? Yeah, I do actually. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So she and uh, and Ryan were my first two clients, and they both just loved what we were doing. Um, I was using a concept at the time in CrossFit that was utilizing like a pacing strategy, which now is just inherent in all programming. Mm-hmm. Like people understand you can't just go redline immediately out the <laughs> exactly. gate. But, but I had, <laughs> I had that, I had that foresight in like 2011. So I was, uh, I was coaching Ryan and he was a, a redline guy. Like he was just go, go, go all the time. And once I was kind of able to dial him back and get him to understand the pacing mechanism yeah. associated with it, he started winning stuff. And like he had two or three straight years where he was one spot away from going to the games, uh, which was just heartbreaking for yeah. us. Cause I was like, Oh, like I yeah. couldn't get you there, you know? Um, but that really got my foot in the door for online coaching uh, well before most people were doing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, then in the 2015, when I did that men's physique competition, my passions really shifted away from CrossFit mm-hmm. because it, like I alluded to earlier, it really like wrecked me. Yeah, it, it, um, yeah. It, I just, I did, I hired the wrong coach to help me with prep who basically treated me like I was uh, on steroids because I mm-hmm. think that's the way that most mm-hmm. of the people that he coaches are. Um, and it just, it just didn't work with me. And it mm-hmm. took me about six months to recover my testosterone and, and get my kind of hormones back in order after that. And so January of 2016 hit and I finally felt better. The competition was in June. Um, and so I was like, okay, January, let's do this CrossFit open coming up in March, you know, let's rev up for this thing. And I started training for it and I just didn't want to do it. Like I had didn't have the desire. I didn't have the passion. I felt still like it was just not the pursuit that embraced or enveloped me anymore. Yeah. Um, and so really at that point in early 2016, I started training more of that like strength and hypertrophy style. And I uh, changed my messaging on Instagram. And that was like the weirdest thing because I at that point had maybe 12,000 followers or mm-hmm. something like that. And over the next like two or three years, it just felt like every time I got followers, I would lose hundreds of followers. Like every yeah. time I posted about yep. like something that was physique or hypertrophy totally. based, all the CrossFitters would just yeah. drop. Like, what is this? Right, right. About. So <laughs> I, I lost followers. Then I was like treading water with followers for a while. And it's only like in the last year that it's finally started to trend back up again from like 12 or 13 or wherever it was at that point. Um, 
So that's been, that was weird, but I think now I'm actually finally, you know, getting the audience that wants to see the stuff that I'm interested in. Yep. And, um, yeah, so now all of my clients or the majority of my clients fall into that more physique focused spectrum. And I still have some clients that are a bit more of that like hybrid where they still want some of the Paragon style training, like Mm -hmm. the functional Mm -hmm. fitness type, type approach, but the majority of them, um, are looking to optimize physique and that's that's great because that's kind of like what, what I do? what I want to work yeah. with yeah How did you get Ryan and Carly? How do they find you? <laughs> oh, it's a good question. Um so Ryan got a job in 2010 as the head coach at CrossFit Del Mar but had a run-in with the owner within the first month because Jeez. I think she wouldn't let him do any of the programming and she only would program like 40 minute hero workouts. Oh God. <laughs> um, so he, he basically left mm-hmm. and he started sending his resume out to all the local San Diego CrossFit gyms. And we looked at his resume and we weren't in a position to hire anybody at the time, but we looked at it and it was like, you know, helicopter pilot in Hawaii and like uh, <laughs> Olympic athlete on the, what's the, what's the sport that's like bobsled, but it's on the ground. It's like on uh it's like, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but he was basically an Olympic trial athlete for, for that sport. Um, and he had all these crazy experiences and he was, he was obviously jacked. Like, to be honest, I don't yeah. know that he's any more jacked now than he was then. Um, And so he, we just kind of embraced him in our community and we were like, Hey dude, like we don't have a spot for you. Like we just quit our jobs. So we can't like pay you anything. But, uh, but if you want like a free gym membership and you just want to hang out, then that's fine. And then there was this other girl at the gym who had a, a spare couch and said Ryan could sleep there. So I think for like four or five months, he slept on this girl's couch (laughs) and just trained with us all day. Um, and so that was awesome. And then uh he's a nutbag like he literally is a nutbag he walked in one day and we were trying to work and he goes hey guys i i just got back from 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 a run i was only gonna go like five miles but i think i did a full marathon and 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 we're like what the fuck dude like he goes yeah it's crazy i can't believe i just did that and we were like no like really and he goes he goes yeah what should i do now should i back squat and i was like I was like, no, you should go home <laughs> Stop, yeah. and like sit down, you know? Um, so I was like constantly having to, to kind of give these messages to him. Like he was always such a go, go, go athlete that he always wanted to be training all the time. And that's part of what made him great. But I think it's also kind of part of what held him back and got him mm-hmm. injured. Yeah, totally. Um, so anyway, uh, he asked me to start coaching him at one point and, uh, and I did. So that was how that happened. And then Carly, Carly was actually first, I think, before Ryan. So I knew Ryan before Carly, but I think Mm -hmm. Carly officially was like my client before Ryan was. Um, So she was being coached by Andrea Ager. Mm -hmm. And I don't don't remember how Carly originally found me. But when she first got introduced to me, I remember her sending me like three or four videos of her movement. Yeah. And 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 Andrea is sitting there watching her being like, those look great. Keep going. And, and they were like the worst Broken. snatches I'd ever seen in my life. And I was like, no, here's what you need to do. And I gave her like a laundry list of like cues and different ways that she could improve her, her execution. And she was like, okay, that's what I thought. She's like, I'm going to, I'm going to start coaching with you, you know? Mm-hmm. And so 
she had never done CrossFit before. Like she was a completely new bio CrossFitter and we were six months out from regionals and she is such a stud athlete yep. that with a little bit of coaching, she made it to regionals that year and we got her a muscle up for the first time on the regional stage, um, which was super cool. And she snatched a PR of 135, which was super cool all at regionals um, that first year. And those are, those are like the stories that, that are super cool because regionals was so grassroots back then that that you could do things like that. And now it's so different that if if anyone's coming into CrossFit now and they look at what everyone's doing, it's like a completely different world. Totally different sport now. Yeah. Totally different sport. That's. And so you had these, you got these clients, one, you folks listening, you know, this is so in line with just the themes that I always talk about where number one, it's all about connection. Uh, and, and fostering and building those relationships. But two, it's being really fucking good at what you do, right? I said it before, results are, are steroids for marketing. You want more clients, get results for your current people. <laughs> like clearly Carly came in, Ryan came in, they knew that this, like Ryan can help me get better. And then they do the things and they're like, fuck, I got better. I went to regionals. Like you get results to these people, you will grow. Whatever it is, the thing that you're doing, it will grow, especially if you get really good results. So you started working with them. You have your gym. When did you, and you said the date before, but you pulled away from CrossFit and you were like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to do online programming. Like how, what happened there? It's <laughs> a good question. Yeah. I kind of skipped over that a little bit. Um, so the, the switch to online really resulted out of the separation of, of ownership of the gym with Anders. Like he and I went through, um, a tough period in Mm -hmm. 2016 and we had diverging ideas of which direction to take the gym. So he started feeling like CrossFit was breaking people. He's just basically started feeling like Mm -hmm. we weren't, um, doing things to actually help people become more athletic. We were making them unhealthier. Um, because, of the issue being that everyone wanted to play CrossFit the sport and didn't understand that there's this whole thing called CrossFit the health program that's different than CrossFit the sport. Yeah. Um, So he started partnering up with Teresa Larson at Movement RX. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're you're familiar with them. Absolutely. Yeah. So she worked out of our gym for over a year. Um, But he partnered with her and they started a program called the Low Back Fix and at that point, he was completely checked out of CrossFit. Like he wanted nothing to do with it at all. And I didn't really want anything to do with it either because I was much more into this like physique style yeah, totally. side of training now. But we still had this gym and we still had all these members and we still had people to show up every day and coach classes and like all these things, but we didn't have the passion anymore. So very fortuitously, I guess, and kind of unfortunately for her, but um, a good friend of ours from the early days of CrossFit. She was a member of our gym, a coach at our gym. She was actually our very first coach. Uh, do you know, uh, Jennifer DeVoe? She was no. Jennifer Michalisi at South Bay CrossFit. She was at South Bay. Well, shit. She was a coach at South Bay for five years. I don't know her, but that's wild. Cause that's my, I know <laughs> that's why I thought you might know. So she was a coach there from probably 2012 to 16 or 17. Gotcha. So she um, left likely right when I got there, right before. Got it. That's why I was so, on the East Coast. Yeah. So she moved back to San Diego and had long expressed to Anders and I that she wanted to be in gym ownership and start a gym. And 
we saw this as an opportunity to sell our gym. And uh, it was kind of trending down at that point. Uh, there was a number of reasons, I would say, at least partially because Anders and I lost the passion for yeah, it. absolutely. And then um, also absolutely. because a number of gyms opened up around mm-hmm. um, our area. Like we kind of had the monopoly on the area for a while and then kind of other other gyms like knockoff CrossFit gyms and mm-hmm. other just gyms mm-hmm. in general started kind of moving in. So the whole thing started to suffer. We had this really big balloon rent payment and Anders and I were like, we just need to get out of this thing as quickly yeah. as possible. Um, so Jenny opted to to buy the majority of, of our shares. Uh, I actually sold half of mine. So I still have 25% of the gym okay. and uh, Anders sold all of his to her. And uh, so at that point, because I still owned 25% of the gym, I mostly determined that I was going to work, you know, a couple hours, coach a couple classes here and there and be a face at the gym so that the members could kind of experience this transition to the new owner. But, um, that I wasn't going to be the prominent figure in the gym. And I really wanted to kind of focus on, on working online more. So I started Evolved and my, my big dream goal in the beginning was if I could just get to a hundred members, then that would be like, you know, $3,000 a yeah. month. And I'd be like that on top of making a little bit of money from the gym um, and one-on-one clients as well. Yeah. I was like, I would be do doing really, really well. Like I'd be really happy with that. Um, and I, and I hit that so quickly. Like I couldn't even believe it. I think I hit a hundred members within like four or five months. And from then Instagram, like where, where, where they come from? Honestly, a lot of them came, yes, all of them came from Instagram, but a lot of them came from Lori because Paragon didn't exist at the time. Mm -hmm. So Lori was following, okay, this is actually, let's backtrack the story slightly. Um, Around the same time I launched Evolved, it was actually slightly before I launched Evolved, Jason Phillips connected me with Lori and was like, hey, I have this girl, she needs to train differently. She's, Mm -hmm. she's, She's completely beat up. She's unable to work effectively because she's just overloaded on CrossFit all the time. So, you know, help her out or whatever. So I put her on a program that was really similar to kind of what the evolved programs were like at the time. And, but it was one-on-one coaching. So it was like specific to her needs. Yeah. And uh, she loved it. Like within four or five months of, of starting it, she was like, we need to get this out to the world. We need to start a company together and, and all this stuff. So so uh, she had been, you know, pushing all the people to evolve, being like, hey, I'm following this evolve thing. It's so cool. Like, go to evolve, go check it out. Um, and so it grew really fast that way. And then we started Paragon and evolved hasn't grown at all, but it's like stayed the same. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm just happy to, I'm just yeah. happy to have like some people that want to do my programming that I can use kind of as that lab experiment. Um, but yeah, so Paragon started in 2018. And then everything just took off from there. Um, but I guess before all that happened, so the funny thing is we actually launched Paragon while I was in Costa Rica. Oh, um, shit. Okay. So once I reached a point where Evolved was doing well enough and I had enough one-on-one clients that I felt like I could just leave the gym and not need any money from from my presence there anymore, uh, Kim and I decided to take our one-year-old baby at the time and go spend three months in this teeny little surf town in Costa Rica Uh, called Santa Teresa, which is just so magical, such an awesome town. Um, So we did, we basically, we rented a, uh, an apartment there for three months. It sucked. We ended up having to go to a different apartment that was way, way, way better. Um, 
But uh, all of this, we had a co-working space and we had a nanny. She didn't speak any English. So we really had to kind of dig deep into our Spanish, but she took care of Bryson for four or five hours a day while we worked. And then we got to spend the rest of the afternoons kind of just trouncing around this beautiful little beach community and checking out restaurants and playing in the water and, and all that cool stuff. So that was like an opportunity that we were afforded because you know, things online were going so well. And then we launched Paragon in like the first week that I was in Costa Rica. And that thing grew obviously like yes. way faster than I expected it to. So um, I'm just so thankful and blessed to be in the position that I'm in right now. This is phenomenal. Folks, like I said, we will link the episode with LCK, but all of this makes sense. I love hearing this backstory because it all ties in. And so you see this like overnight success and like, you know, oh, it, it, it exploded. But this is the epitome of slowly, slowly, suddenly. And <laughs> within all of that, all of the, the I don't want to say risks, the things that Brian, the decisions that Brian made and the work that he put in, that, that part where you're like, yeah, for eight months, I just did the most. Yes, because that's what happens. That's what you need to do. I'm 0% surprised that you did that uh, because it speaks to your personality, fits in this so well. But yes, all of these decisions as well. And then when your passion switched, one, you, you nailed it with kind of like from an outward or results perspective. Yeah, if your passion switches and you are the, the face, the brand, this thing, the people that are part of it, they're going to pull back as well because their their leader is like, I don't really love this as much. I also, Ryan, I really respect and love that you don't shit on CrossFit. Like you never come with that approach of like CrossFit breaks people and it's just the fucking worst. <laughs> like CrossFit changes lives. It's changed lives. It's been a foundation or an integral part for so many of us. So I love that you, you were just like, I don't want to do that anymore. Like there could be a better way to do things, but also I wanted to do more of the physique hypertrophy stuff. And so that's why I went. I love that. I respect that. You pivoted. Yeah. Not everyone's going to go when you pivot. We see that, you know, Instagram is such a tangible metric of that. Like so you'll lose followers because they're like, you're no longer serving me. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Totally all about it. Yep. But still stay true to that. Still getting phenomenal results for people, having those, you know, maintaining those connections with people. And you get that slowly, slowly suddenly it makes sense yeah that someone referred you know lck to you because you're like they're like this guy is the best at what he does i said this to you folks listening you want more eyes you want more clients be the fucking best at what you do it's going to take a long time but this is where you get that slowly slowly suddenly that makes so much sense and then your wife is just like let's go to to <laughs> to costa rica like we um we we both have have had a lot of traveling in our history. Um, I actually spent three months in Costa Rica in college, and she's spent a semester in Spain. Um, we've traveled all over, kind of Latin America, South America. Uh, she's been to Europe a bunch in the last few years. I haven't been able to make those trips with her, but uh, actually, we did. We went to we went to Greece and Croatia for our honeymoon in 2014. Um, but we put a high premium on on travel and experience, yeah. and um, so yeah, it was it was definitely challenging. Like in, in it would have been an easier trip if we would have had. Um, better places to stay or more nanny coverage or whatever. But, but I mean, you make the best of it. Like wow, when you're in, amazing. when you're in a, a foreign place like that, like you're just happy to be able to share that experience with each other. And then 
Um, unfortunately, my son won't remember, but he learned to walk there. So <laughs> wow. it's, uh, it's really cool because we have videos of him not walking. And then within the first week, he started walking. And then by the end of the three-month trip, he's like, you know, half running. So my dude's surfing. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but no, it was it was um it was a really, really cool trip. And we we even briefly discussed doing it again uh in early like the end of this year or early 2022 with two kids. Okay. But um we were actually for sure spending a month in San Diego, uh, mid-February to mid-March. And we're we're not sure if we want to do two months of like childcare on the road totally. versus just one totally. month, but but it's still a possibility. We'll see. Oh, this is so good, Brian. I am loving hearing about all the other sides of what you've done. Like I, whenever I do a podcast episode, I, you know, I have a, a rough story in mind that I want to tell and that I would hope to convey to the listeners. But I'm always like, you know, we have a conversation, let it go where it goes. It is so cool to hear all of the things that have led you and the decisions that you've, you know, that you actively made that brought you to where you're at now. Like, I'm like, I planned on having you nerd out a bit more with (laughs) just all the stuff you do. So I'll definitely bring you back on for another episode, but I love this. This is just like, this is so, so good, but I am, I'm like being cognizant of the time because I'm like, I try to keep the podcast episodes at an hour. Clearly it's no longer an hour, um, but <laughs> I'm definitely going to bring you back on for this because like, I love all of it. It's just, it's so great to hear how it all connects, the decisions that you made, the, you know, the the passion that you brought to things, the, uh, the courage to go in different directions. Um, and just, I love how you show up unapologetic. Like you're like, I'm wearing white leggings. That's a big deal. Right? Like, white leggings. We're having repeating movements and yeah. this is what it is. And I'm like, I freaking love it. Awesome. Well, I, I think you it. did an incredible job of getting all the, the relevant information out of me. So, so props this, to you too. This is so good. Thank you. Uh, before I let you go, um, like I said, folks, we link everything in the show notes, but definitely check Brian out on Instagram. All the stuff is there. His stories are phenomenal. Um, we didn't even get into the, the scale tracking, the weight tracking. We'll bring him back on and talk about that. We'll talk about the pendulum uh, machine. That, that was like <laughs> such a, you know, I was like, we're all waiting. Like, are you going to get it? Uh, spoiler, he did get it and had to you know build it just by being smart because uh, there was like one direction and a video. But check him out on Instagram at Brian Borstein. That's B-R-Y-A-N. B-O-O-R-S-T-E-I-M. But we'll link that in the show notes. Before I let you go, Brian, I ask everyone the same question, so I will ask you. Is there anything that you want to, any kind of message that you would like to leave the people with? Oh, man. That's a a big one. That's a good question. With no preparation either. Exactly. (laughs) Just put me on the spot. Um, Hmm. I, you know, it's, it's funny. I hear this all the time and I never realized how applicable it was to my life until I look back in retrospect, but, um, you know, don't be scared to fail, but when you do fail fast, I think that that's important. Like it. So on brand. So on brand, except (laughs) when you're on your last rep, then you probably see the speed decrease. You're going twice as slow as the first one. We'll talk about that on the next episode. It's actually really, really interesting. Stuff. Yeah, it wasn't exactly of regarding rep cadence <laughs> more. <laughs> exactly. For everything else. And then we don't even need to go to failure. Brian talked about that Ooh, as well, well on the pod, on his podcast, Reps in Reserve, and how you can gain strength through pretty much any range, uh, rep yep. range. So 
If you want to nerd out more about that stuff, folks, which is, it is actually quite fascinating to me, check out Brian's podcast. That's the E Train Prosper podcast. Uh, follow Brian on the Instagrams, Brian Borstein, uh, and just go learn the things. Brian, thank you. This was a long episode. I know you got a lot of stuff to okay. do and uh, you're missing out on time for walking, but this was phenomenal. So thank you so much for, for taking the time. I really, really, really appreciate it. Thank you. I really appreciate it as well. You are so welcome. You folks listening, thank you. I know you could have been doing anything. Maybe you're walking while listening to this. Very meta. Uh, and we are both <laughs> very, very grateful. Uh, I'm not going to ask for any likes or anything like that. If you want to do it, you know I love it. What I will ask for is if this episode resonated with you in any way, shape, or form, share it. Right? Spread the love. Pass it on to somebody else who you think might find a little bit of entertainment, enjoyment, inspiration, education, information in this. All right, officially wrapping it up. Until next time, friends, Brian and Maestro, 